0: Attention listeners, this podcast contains graphic content, explicit language, frightening stories, and other adult content not suitable for listeners under the age of 18. This podcast may also contain triggers for suicide, depression, and other types of mental illness. Listener discretion is advised.
1: You've done it now. Your curiosity has betrayed you. You've made it to the end of the woods. But there is one problem. The monster who resides here with his bevy of fiendish friends will entangle you with his tales of haunting horrors. I pity you, friend. For you were brave enough to dive into the depths of the monster's lair.
0: I am proud and happy to announce that the Monsterage continues to grow across the nation. I have a feeling our recent growth has a lot to do with the recent appearance a fellow podcaster and awesome person, Reed Messerschmidt, formerly of Reed Gets Metal and currently of the Irrationally Exuberant podcast. I'd like to take this time and thank Reed for his appearance on the show and his willingness to be part of an interview. And I'd also like to thank him for spreading the word about the Monsterage and the monster's lair. With that being said, Let me take a few seconds to shout out some of the new cities that the Monsterage has traveled to. I'd like to thank our new listeners in Sacramento, California, the capital city. Go Kings! I'd also like to take this time to make it the major announcement that we finally broke into the market of Texas, and in a big way. The Monsters Raj now exists in Dallas, Texas, home of my beloved Cowboys, and Austin, Texas, one of the coolest cities in the United States of America, and a town perfect for the Monsterage. We've also made it up to the Pacific Northwest, and we now have members of the Monsterage residing in Seattle, Washington, and Boardman, Oregon. Thank you guys all for finding the show, for listening, and for your continued support. We love you all, and welcome to the Monsterage. My name is Taylor, and you're listening to the Monster's Layer. Welcome listeners into The Monster's Lair. I am your master and host, of the monster himself, J.D. Hutchins. This week in The Monster's Lair, we have a unique episode. I will be covering a ghost story that is near and dear to my heart, as it is my personal favorite spooky tale. We are covering a great ghost story that was the first I heard to keep me up at night as a child and lose sleep after hearing it. Unlike most of our stories that could be true or at least leave room for debate, this story is definitely fiction. In this episode, I am discussing, sharing, and diving into the depths of Washington Irving's comedic horror masterpiece, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Without further ado, let's dive into the foggy, heavily forested depths of New York and the tale of the Headless Horseman. 1820's The Legend of Sleepy Hollow tells the story of Ichabod Crane in his attempt to win the heart and hand of Katrina Van Tassel in the context of a comical ghost story. Ichabod comes to Sleepy Hollow, New York from his home state of Connecticut to be the schoolmaster of the village. Sleepy Hollow is a small, very quiet town said to be under some kind of enchantment. Its residents all seem to move a little slower, daydream a little more, and be more prone to believe in the supernatural. Sleepy Hollow, maybe for that reason, or maybe because its residents are almost all descended from its original Dutch settlers, has more in its fair share of supernatural occurrences, or at least stories of them. Sleepy Hollow's most supernatural phenomenon is the ghost of the Headless Horseman, said to be a Hessian soldier who lost his head to a cannonball during the Revolutionary War. For those who are unaware, Hessians were German soldiers who served as auxiliaries to the British Army during the American Revolutionary War. The term is an American bastardization for all Germans who fought on the British side since the majority came from the German states of hesse Castle and Hess Hanau, hence the name Hessian. Almost everything about these troops seemed foreign and frightening to the early American army, who were, after all, largely militia and inexperienced soldiers in a new army with ragtag farmers and common folk attempting to specialize in guerrilla warfare. The Hessians wore crisp blue or green uniforms with red, white or green facings, tall pointed miter hats, and many of them grew large mustaches. The Hessian headless horseman is seen most often riding by the church where locals say he was buried. He is believed to be always in search of his head. Ichabod is fascinated by this story, being especially interested and prone to belief in ghosts. Ichabod is a teacher. Ichabod makes almost no money, and it is customary in the village for farmers whose sons he teaches to feed and board him in rotation. Along with this, Ichabod makes some extra money teaching singing lessons. He prides himself greatly on his magnificent voice. This arrangement keeps him employed gives him many opportunities to hear ghost stories from the farmers' wives and eat meals with the farmers' daughters. He also has an insatiable hunger, which is a funny detail, as Ichabod is usually described as tall, thin, lanky, and awkward. He also has a taste for the finer things in life that are outside of his means. Katrina Van Tassel, a beautiful young woman of 18, is one of Ichabod's students. She is also the only child of Baltus Van Tassel, a rich, successful, and very powerful farmer in the area. Ichabod is quickly taken in by her flirtatious charm, but it is when he first visits her father's abundant farm that he considers himself truly in love with her, or at least, her likely inheritance. He quickly sets out to win her hand in marriage, coming by the Van Tassel farm frequently to woo her. Ichabod is not alone in his attentions to Katrina, however. Her beauty, charm, and wealth have entranced many other men in the village, especially the formidable Brom Van Brunt, also known as Brom Bones. Brom is notorious for his boisterous personality, love of pranks, and great skill at horseback riding, all of which make him something of a village hero. Brom has already scared off many of Katrina's other suitors, but Ichabod is harder to shake. Avoiding physical confrontation with Brom, which is Brom Main's method of intimidation. Without that option, Brom turns to his next best skill, pranks. He fills the schoolhouse with smoke, trains a dog to follow Ichabod around howling, and sets many other pranks to frustrate and humiliate the teacher. One day, a messenger comes to the schoolhouse to invite Ichabod to a party at the Van Tassels. At this party, he apparently finds himself the best man in the house, and when the party is over, he stays behind. For some reason, however, Katrina disregards him. Ichabod leaves crestfallen. He finds the path home dark and eerily quiet. He tries to keep himself from getting too scared by seeing, but soon after he has passed the possibly haunted Major Andre's tree, named after British Army Major John Andre, who was hung in it for his part in spying on American forces and described as an ancient, enormous tulip tree which towered over the post road. A remarkable feature of the tree is that it stood literally in the middle of the road. The road split to either side of the tree, a unique circumstance even in that day. The extensive description of the tree and the legend of Sleepy Hollow may be well worth revisiting. Irving writes, Many dismal tales were told about funeral trance and mourning cries and wailings heard and seen about the great tree where the unfortunate Andre was taken. Irving goes on, The common people regarded it with a mixture of respect and superstition partly out of sympathy for the fate of its ill-starred namesake and partly from the tales of strange sights and doleful lamentations told concerning it. When Ichabod approaches the tree, he sees a large dark figure looming nearby. It does not respond to his call, but as he passes by it, it starts to move and joins him on the path, riding a large dark horse. Ichabod is greatly disturbed and tries to shake off his pursuer, but he fails. Finally, he notices that the rider has no head on his shoulders. The head seems to be sitting on the saddle in front of the man. Ichabod tries to get his decrepit horse to run home as fast as it can, but he is not a skilled rider, and the horse resists. They end up by the church the scene of most of the stories of the Headless Horseman, and Ichabod races to the bridge where the ghost is said to disappear and not follow. Ichabod crosses the bridge and looks back, but he sees the horseman, instead of disappearing, hurl his detached head at him. It knocks Ichabod off of his horse. The next day, Ichabod's horse returns to its owner's farm, but there is no sign of Ichabod. A search party finds hoofprints and Ichabod's hat, with a smashed pumpkin left next to it. Ichabod is never heard from again in Sleepy Hollow, although later on it seems he is alive elsewhere and has told his story. Some of the townspeople believe that Brom Bones pulled off a great prank, which put Brom in the final position to marry Katrina Van Tassel, but the old women and local folklore maintain that he was taken by the Headless Horseman. So, the question is, Why is The Legend of Sleepy Hollow important? It was the first book by an American writer to become popular outside of the United States and helped establish American writing as a serious and respectable literature. In 1864, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow was published as separate illustrated volume for the first time, and there have been dozens of editions since. Essentially, the writing that put American literature on the map was also one of its first ghost stories. Elizabeth Bradley, a historian at Historic Hudson Valley, says, America's first ghost story has endured because it accommodates the changing American imagination. It inspires people because it reminds them that there are still some American mysteries, some half-truths that may never be fully known, and that's the whole point, she says. The legend lends itself to any interpretation, and it continues to fascinate and terrify us in the best possible way. Don't start backpedaling now.
1: You've gone too far. You're stuck in the monster's lair with the
0: trailer park monster himself. J.D. Hutchins. Enjoy. Enjoy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is J.D. Hutchins, the monster himself. You are now in the monster's lair, and back again joining me this week is our lovely co-host, Tom the Nightmare. Happy to be here, my friend. What's going on, Tommy?
1: Nothing much. All that Headless Horseman stuff's kind of been making me think, you know, like, if I got my head chopped off, would I know what's going on for at least those 12 seconds?
0: Well, they've already said I didn't know my ass from a hole in the ground, but I guess if I didn't have a head... There'd be a hole in the ground end where my head used to be.
1: Yeah, well, Grandpa always said, get your head out your ass. It's dark in there.
0: It sounds like uh, our uh, layered dog here wants to say a few words. Roxy, you got something to say? Yeah. What do you got to say, Rox? Speaking to the mic. You got something to say? Nah, she's a quiet old woman. Anyway, bro, we're talking about the Headless Horseman and the Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, our little lovely outdoor studio here inside the monster's lair, we're underneath the perfect setting in a gray-filled, ash-covered sky. Yeah. And a burning orange sun that can barely be seen from our vantage point here. (laughs) Of course. It doesn't get any creepier than that. Nope. But with that being said, we want to wish well to all the firefighters and volunteers that are out there fighting these 300 plus blazes.
1: Yeah, you guys got more balls than I ever will. I'll give you that.
0: You guys are definitely monsters in your own right. Walking into the flames and walking out hopefully unscathed.
1: (gasps) Yeah, you're the kind of people that run into a burning building while other people are running out and you have nothing but our respect and admiration for that.
0: So guys, with that being said, as you know from the top of the episode intro, we are discussing The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, Washington Irving, and the ghost of the Headless Horseman. So let's get into it. Let's go! Let's learn more about the writer of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, Washington Irving. Irving was born in New York City on April 3, 1783. Born and raised in Manhattan to a merchant family, Irving made his literary debut in 1802 with a series of observational letters to the Morning Chronicle written under the pseudonym Jonathan Oldstyle. He temporarily moved to England for the family business in 1815 where he achieved fame with the publication of the sketchbook of Jeffrey Crayon Gent, serialized from 1819 to 1820. He continued to publish regularly throughout his life, and he completed a five-volume biography of George Washington just eight months before his death at age 76 in Terrytown, New York. Irving was an American short story writer, essayist, biographer, historian, and diplomat of the early 19th century. He is best known for his short stories Rip Van Winkle in 1819 and The Legend of Sleepy Hollow in 1820, both of which appear in his collection, The Sketchbook of Jeffrey Crayon, Gent. His historical works include biographies of Oliver Goldsmith, the Prophet Muhammad, and George Washington, as well as several histories of 15th century Spain that deal with subjects such as Alhambra, Christopher Columbus, and the Moors. Irving served as an American ambassador to Spain in the 1840s. Irving returned from Spain in September 1846, took up residence at Sunnyside, and began work on an author's revised edition of his works for publisher George Parmore, Palmer Putnam. For its publication, Irving had made a deal which guaranteed him 12% of the retail price of all copies sold, an agreement that was unprecedented at the time. As he revised his older works for Putnam, he continued to write regularly, publishing biographies. Irving traveled regularly to Mount Vernon and Washington, D.C. for his research and struck up friendships with Presidents Millard Fillmore and Franklin Pierce. He was elected an Associate Fellow of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences in 1855. He was hired as an executor of John Jacob Astor's estate in 1848 and appointed by Astor's will as first chairman of the Astor Library, a forerunner to the New York Public Library. Irving continued to socialize and keep up with his correspondence well into his 70s, and his fame and popularity continued to soar. I don't believe that any man in any country has ever had a more affectionate admiration for him than that given to you in America, wrote Senator William C. Preston in a letter to Irving. I believe that what we have had but one man who is so much in the popular heart." Irving died of a heart attack in his bedroom on November 28, 1859 at the age of 76 in Sunnyside, only eight months after completing the final volume of his Washington biography. Legend has it that his last words were, "'Well, I must arrange my pillows for another night.' When will this end? He was buried under a simple headstone at Sleepy Hollow Cemetery on December 1st, 1859. Irving and his grave were commemorated by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow in his 1876 poem In the Churchyard at Tarrytown, which concludes with, How sweet a life was his, how sweet a death. Living to wing with mirth the weary hours or with romantic tales the heart to cheer. Dying to leave a memory like a breath of summers full of sunshine and showers, a grief and gladness in the atmosphere. Irving is largely credited as the first American man of letters and the first to earn his living solely by his pen.
1: The main themes of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow are the city versus the country, creativity and imagination, and the meaning of marriage. City versus country Crane embodies the hapless city dweller who cannot fit into the down to earth culture of the Hudson Valley Dutch farmers. As we discussed earlier, It was the first book by the American writer to become popular outside of the United States and helped establish American writing as a serious and respectable literature. In 1864, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow was published as a separate illustrated volume for the first time and there have been dozens of editions since. First written in the 1820s, it is a story that is so vivid and well written that the main antagonist the headless horseman still terrifies and inspires people looking for a good ghost story to this day. Washington Irving flawlessly blended factual people, places and history together with horrifying folklore from immigrants coming to America and terrifying fantasy and imagination to create and an interesting, original, comical horror masterpiece to last many generations.
0: The character of Ichabod Crane is a dynamic one. A young school teacher from Connecticut who comes to Sleepy Hollow to teach the town's children, presumably just for a time. Ichabod was an unjust teacher who punished his students with prejudice. He punished those he did not like or considered could take the blame or burden for somebody else. He chose wisely whom to punish. He loves singing and dancing. He also gives singing lessons and believes he is excellent at both, but there's a touch of irony in the narration that suggests he may not be as talented as he thinks. He rotates between living at homes of his various students for his food and lodging. Ichabod is tall, lanky, and somewhat awkward looking. He also has a tremendous, almost voracious appetite. At the same time, Ichabod is gullible and has a wild imagination. He adores reading and listening to ghost stories, even though they continue to terrify him at night after he's read or heard them. For Ichabod, reality and fiction are less distinct than they are for most people, especially in Sleepy Hollow, where Ichabod comes under the influence of the, quote, witchy air. If not for that, Ichabod may well be just another example of an aimless youth with little direction or ambition. By the end of the story, with the reader's interpretation to consider, we learn that Ichabod may have left this bewitched town and made something of himself after all, propelled back to reality by one final prank. The other alternative is Ichabod's soul was claimed by the specter of the headless horseman. Washington Irving wrote the iconic tale about the main antagonist, the headless horseman, but Irving didn't invent the idea of a headless rider. Tales of headless horsemen can be traced to the Middle Ages, including stories from the Brothers Grimm and the Dutch and Irish legend of the Dullahan, or Gan Sian, a grim reaper-like rider who carries his head. He would have been introduced to local ghost stories and lore at an impressionable age, Elizabeth Bradley says. He cleverly weaves together factual locations, the old Dutch church and churchyard Major Andres Tree, some actual family names including Van Tassel and Ichabod Crane, and a little bit of revolutionary war history with pure imagination and fantasy, Bradley says. It's a melting pot of a story, and thus, totally American. Irish ghost stories and funerary traditions traveled with the Irish emigrants and often became entangled with local customs from entirely new traditions through the decades. One of these traditions is the story of the Dullahan, also known as the Headless Horseman. The legend of a decapitated horseman carrying his own head is one that crops up in numerous European storytelling traditions. From the Middle English of Gawain and the Green Knight, to the stories of the Brothers Grimm, Headless horsemen can be found in many stories, haunting the highways and byways of remote locations, and even occasionally marauding our city streets. The Dolahan, which translates literally to the Dark Man, was a malevolent harbinger of death whose origins come from Celtic mythology. He is said to be the embodiment of Crom Dub, a fertility god who demanded blood sacrifice in the form of decapitation. His worship ended with the coming of Christianity to Ireland. The Dolahan roams the roads, calling the names of those doomed to die, and carrying his head under his arm. The flesh of the face is decayed, rotting, and has the specific, detailed, and morbid reference to the consistency of flesh being akin to moldy cheese recurring in many versions of the tale. The most famous and lasting iteration of the Dullahan figure must be the Headless Horseman featured in Washington Irving's The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Irving was an American citizen whose parents hailed originally from Cornwall, England and his story was written while he was traveling England. It's intriguing to see how the Celtic roots of this tale are filtered through the history of America of the day. Sleepy Hollow is also a political satire of Irving's view of the materialistic Dutch settler communities, as much as it is a ghost story. Some reiterations of Irving's The Legend of Sleepy Hollow depict the headless horseman carrying a pumpkin or a jack-o'-lantern in lieu of a severed head. He's sometimes depicted as throwing this at his victims, much like he did to poor Ichabod in the original version. People have been making jack-o'-lanterns at Halloween for centuries. However, many people do not know why or how this became a Halloween tradition. To know more about jack-o'-lanterns, you must first need to know about the tale of their namesake, Stingy Jack. According to the story, an old Irishman named Stingy Jack once invited the devil to have a drink with him. The devil heeded the call as he thought it would lead to the capture of an easily gotten soul. True to his name, Stingy Jack didn't want to pay for his drink, so he used his Irish charm and silver tongue to reluctantly but finally convince the devil to turn himself into a coin that Jack could use to buy their drinks. Once the devil did so, Jack decided to keep the money and put it into his pocket next to a silver cross which prevented the devil from changing back into his original form. Jack eventually, reluctantly, freed the devil under the condition that he would not bother Jack for one year, and that should Jack die, he would not claim his soul. The next year, the devil returned for the debt that was owed him. Jack, once again using his quick wit and gift to Gab, again tricked the devil into climbing into a tree to pick a piece of fruit. While Satan was up in the tree, Jack carved a sign of the cross into the tree's bark so the devil could not come down. Not until Jack had used his powers of persuasion did Old Scratch promise Jack not to bother him for ten more years. Soon after the drinking and gallivanting took its toll on Old Stingy Jack, he died. As the legend goes, when Jack got to the pearly gates, God would not allow such an unsavory figure into heaven. The devil, upset by the tricks that stingy, sneaky, silver-tongued drunkard bastard Stingy Jack had played on him, and keeping his word not to claim his soul, would not allow Jack into hell. He sent Stingy Jack off into the dark night with only a burning coal to light his way. Jack put the coal into a carved-out turnip and has been roaming the earth ever since. The Irish began referring to these ghostly figures as the Jack of the Lantern, and then simply shortened it to Jack-O-Lantern. Immigrants from these countries brought the Jack-O-Lantern tradition with them when they came to the United States. They then soon found that pumpkins, a fruit native to America, make perfect Jack-O-Lanterns, and we've been carving them ever since. So next time you carve a pumpkin on Halloween, remember the story of Stingy Jack and how he tricked the devil with his sharp... Silver Tongue.
1: There are many stories of other headless ghosts. Tales of headless specters are not only found here in the United States. As we have discussed, our story of the headless horseman was most likely adapted from an Irish folklore tale, The Dullahan. Many countries around the world have their own version of the headless ghost, with their very own unique origin and cultural spin. Hence, Japanese folklore contains the legend of the vampire-like creature called the Nukibin or Nukikubi, meaning prowling head by day. A Nukikubi is largely indistinguishable from an ordinary person. At night, however, its head detaches from its neck and flies away. The flying head of the Nukikubi preys on mortal flesh. Once it has found its victim, it emits a paralyzing scream before going in for the kill. Often, the Nukikubi has no idea what they are. They might only recall dreams of seeing their room. From odd angles. To vanquish the Nukikubi, you must find its idle body at night and destroy it, thereby also killing the head. There is one way to identify the Nukikubi by day. They will have two or three wrinkles along the bottom of their neck. Before becoming Archbishop of Canterbury, William Laud was the Chancellor of Oxford University. As Archbishop, he was cruel and unforgiving. Eventually, his enemies gained enough political power to have him arrested and beheaded for his Protestantism and alienating the King from his subjects. His gruesome end has become associated with haunting at the library of St. John's College in Oxford. At night, it is said a ghostly figure can be seen walking the building carrying a candle in his hand as he kicks his own severed head along the floor. The last detail suggests that he has developed a playful side in death. After all, we tend to picture decapitated ghosts carrying their heads under their arms rather than using them as if they were a soccer ball. Rumor has it that a mysterious drumming noise can be heard in the walls of the Edinburgh Castle. The source of this lonely sound is said to be a phantom drummer boy. According to the story, the boy is seen whenever the castle is under threat. First appearing in 1650 when Oliver Cromwell launched an attack when when he appears the ghostly drummer boy lacks a head. Ghostly drummer boys are a recurring motif in legends around the world. For example, one such spirit is said to have been haunting Shiloh in America since the day of the Civil War. However, the headless nature of the ghost of Edinburgh Castle marks him as an as something completely altogether less common, more so than eerie. The English town of Dublin is home to a pub named the Headless Woman, and with a name like that, there is bound to be a fascinating story attached to the place. Sure enough, the pub is reputed to be haunted by the headless ghost of Grace Trigg, a woman who was tortured and beheaded by the soldiers of Oliver Cromwell during the English Civil War. Researchers have had trouble verifying this tale, but paranormal phenomena are still reported going on to this day. While traveling through Begol, India, be wary around the railroad tracks. Around these areas are said to dwell malevolent headless spirits called the Skadata. These are believed to be the spirits of those people who died by having their heads cut off by a train accident. The Skandokada always search for their missing heads and plead and plead and plead with others to help them find it. Sometimes they attack humans and make them slaves to search for their lost heads for all of eternity. Here are a few known facts about decapitation. Decapitation, also known as beheading, is the complete and total separation of the head from the body. Such an, such an injury is invariably fatal to humans and most other animals since it deprives the brain of oxygenated blood, while all other organs are deprived of the involuntary functions that are needed for the body to function. The term beheading refers to the act of deliberately decapitating a person, either as means of murder or as an execution. It may be accomplished with an axe, a sword, a knife, a machete or by any mechanical means such as guillotine or chainsaw. An executioner who carries out executions by beheading is sometimes called a headsman. Accidental decapitation can be the result of an explosion, a car crash, industrial accidents, or improperly administered execution by hanging or any other violent injury. Suicide by decapitation is rare but not unknown. The national laws of Saudi Arabia, Yemen, and Qatar permit beheading. However, in practice, Saudi Arabia is the only country that continues to behead its offenders regularly as a punishment for crime. Less commonly, decapitation can also refer to the removal of the head from the body that is already dead. This might be done to take the head as a trophy. For public display, trophies, etc., to make the deceased more difficult to identify in other means, for cryonics or for other more esoteric reasons. Notable people who have been beheaded include one Mel Gibson. Oh wait, no, that's not Mel Gibson. That's uh, William Wallace, Sir Owen Tudor, and Bolwyn, Mary Queen of Scots, Sir Walter Raleigh. Archbishop William Laud and the purported headless ghosts of Oxford, Charles I, Oliver Cromwell, Louis XVI, Marie Antoinette, let them have their cake and eat it too, Charlotte Corday, John Kelly, and John Murphy with no relationship to Eddie Murphy. There's really no argument in the scientific community that decapitation can somehow be survived by humans. If you lose your head, you are definitely dead. However, there is some quite spirited debate over just exactly how it happens. Specifically, it's not known if people are actually conscious for a few moments after they are decapitated. Within seconds of your head being removed, your vital organs stop receiving instruction. So they stop working. At this point, in your headless body, blood is also no longer circulating this means your cells aren't getting the oxygen they need to function cell death sets in and you die while that the basics of losing your head there are a few less n- well-known facts about decapitation so, so a few of the well-known rumors are it's rumored that severed heads can be conscious after decapitation. Most scientists obviously say no. But then again, no one has been able to interview a decapitation survivor about this. There is some speculation that it is possible for consciousness to continue in the head even after it's severed from the body. The reason why is that the blood in the brain can stay oxygenated for up to 12 seconds without any circulation. Theoretically, that temporarily oxygenated blood would allow the brain to keep functioning. While this phenomenon has never been directly observed by modern scientists or proven, there are plenty of stories throughout history of severed heads opening their eyes and looking around. For example, during the French Revolution, the severed heads of Charlotte Corday was said to have stared at the executioner after he smacked its cheek. In 1989, an Army veteran witnessed a friend decapitated in a car crash. The veteran said that the severed head of his friend showed emotions of shock, terror, and grief as the eyes looked back at its body. Another one is beheading is actually the most humane execution method. While beheading is a savage thing to witness and wait for it, It is actually considered by many to be the most humane form of execution because death occurs so quickly. Beheading isn't entirely painless though. It is thought by many researchers that there must be at least some sharp acute pain felt when the head is severed, though for obvious reasons they have not been able to prove it thus far. Number 3 Decapitation is Messy One of the reasons why decapitation is no longer used in Western countries as a form of execution is because of the spectacle. It is also incredibly messy. When the head is severed, the heart keeps beating for a moment or two. All the blood that would have been going to the head is now spurting out the neck. Typically, the blood will gush out in a high spurt for about 30 seconds after the head is removed. No one wants to clean up that mess. I know I wouldn't. Another known fact, or somewhat known fact. Some animals can survive decapitation. While humans may not be able to survive a beheading, there are a few animals who can, such as pit vipers and chickens. In fact, one chicken, Mike the Headless Chicken, was able to survive without his head for a full 18 months. Mike's case is so rare but it's not unprecedented for headless chickens to survive to the time. Number 5. There are two types of decapitation, internal and external. External decapitation is the kind we're all familiar with. An outside force severs the head from the body. Internal decapitation, though, it's much rarer and interesting. When someone is internally decapitated, their skull is actually severed from the spinal column but it's still attached to the body. This can be caused accidentally, during severe head trauma, or intentionally. In fact, the act of hanging relies on the mechanism of internal decapitation to ensure that the victim dies quickly. While it might seem impossible, there have been a handful of people in recent history who have survived internal decapitation thanks to quick thinking doctors.
0: In the aftermath of the death of George Floyd at the hands of police in Minneapolis on May 25th, Tony Kemp, Oakland A's second baseman and former player for my hometown AAA team, the Fresno Grizzlies, was one of the most active players in the MLB to speak out against racial injustice. Unsure of how he might be received upon reuniting with teammates for summer camp, Kemp has been overwhelmed by the positive response and support from his teammates. On June 5th, a week into the nationwide protests over the killing of George Floyd by police officers, Oakland A's utility man Tony Kemp posted a tweet offering to talk. If anyone wanted to have a conversation about race or learn more about systemic racism, his virtual door was open. Two weeks later, he started a movement. The plus one effect. He is embodying a quote that I personally cite often and wholeheartedly believe in. In the words of Gandhi, he hopes to be the change he wants to see in the world by holding an honest and respectful dialogue with one individual at a time and starting a chain reaction that can change perspectives around the country. Kemp states that, quote, change one perspective, hope they can change another, and slowly we begin to see the type of systemic change that Kemp has been waiting for for a lifetime. Kemp's The Plus One Effect, in partnership with clothing brand Breaking Tea, sees part of their proceeds go to Campaign Zero, an organization dedicated to decreasing police violence with its hashtag 8CanWait initiative. Research shows more restrictive use-of-force policies can reduce killings by police and save lives. Tell your city... To adopt all eight of these policies now. The eight policies are ban chokeholds and string holds, require de-escalation, require warning before shooting, require exhaustive and to exhaust all alternatives before shooting. Duty to intervene, ban shooting at moving vehicles, require the use of force continuum to be put into place, and require comprehensive reporting by all parties involved. Another portion of proceeds from the plus one effect go to Gideon's army a group focused on dismantling the school-to-prison pipeline and interrupting the transmission of violence. In the United States, the school-to-prison pipeline, also known as the school-to-prison link, or the schoolhouse-to-jailhouse track, is the disproportionate tendency of minors and young adults from disadvantaged backgrounds to become incarcerated because of increasingly harsh school and municipal policies. Exclusionary disciplinary policies, specifically zero tolerance policies that remove students from the school environment, increase the probability of a youth coming into contact with the incarceration system. Risky problem behavior is something those students who were suspended will most likely engage in. Ways to break this cycle include prevention, encouraging cultural competence in teachers, and looking at rehabilitative practices such as restorative justice to keep young children in school to help them through any issues. The plus one effect t-shirts are available in three styles, a navy blue adult t-shirt, with a gold and white front and back print on a comfortable cotton poly blend crew neck, unisex sizing with a snug fit, ranging sizes small to three X. A Kelly Green adult t-shirt, gold and white front and back print on a super comfortable cotton poly blended crew neck, unisex sizing with a snug fit, sizes small to three X. And a navy blue youth t-shirt with golden white front and back print on a comfortable cotton poly blend crew neck. The shirts are designed by Nick Torres and screened in the USA. Go to wwwbreakingtcom slash products one effect and order your very own The Plus One Effect shirt today and support productive and respectful discourse on the current race relations in our country while directly helping out great organizations focused on racial equality. Also, if you'd ever like to have a productive discourse on race relations, we are available to talk at any time. Thank you. Let's be clear. Liquid death is a completely unnecessary approach to bottled water. In fact, they strive to be unnecessary in everything they do. Because unnecessary things tend to be far more interesting, fun, hilarious, captivating, memorable, exciting, and cult-worthy than necessary things. For example, here's a short list. Unnecessary things. Smashing a guitar on stage and lighting it on fire jumping over 14 Greyhound buses on a vintage motorcycle, and cat videos. Here's a list of some unnecessary some necessary things. Breathing, driving the speed limit, and colonoscopies. Liquid Death was started with the totally evil plan to make people laugh and get more of them to drink more water more often. How? By taking the world's healthiest beverage and making it just as unnecessarily entertaining as the unhealthy brands across energy drinks, beer, chips, and candy. Most products in the health and wellness space are all marketed with aspirational fitness models and airbrush celebrities. And many of us are fucking tired of it. Why should unhealthy products be the only brands with permission to be loud, fun, and weird. And let's be honest, almost all marketing and branding is just theater. So, they're going to treat our theater like a movie theater and have more fun with it. As longtime creative weirdos, they feel that positive, healthy change doesn't have to be boring and artless. If you want to have a bottled water at a concert, in a bar, at a party, in your car, or anywhere, it shouldn't have to also mean drinking from a plastic bottle that isn't actually recyclable, recyclable and eventually ends up in the ocean. As they continue to bring their unnecessarily awesome and infinitely recyclable bottled water option to more people, they are equally as excited to use their healthy water brand to help fund and elevate weird art, music, and entertainment that most big corporate brands would never touch. Much like Liquid Death, this ad is completely unnecessary as Liquid Death is not even an official sponsor of the show. With that being said, I fucking love them anyway. So much so, in fact, I sold my soul to their company in exchange for joining the Liquid Death Country Club, an exclusive members-only fan club of Liquid Death Mountain Water. In the club, you will have exclusive emails sent your way for discounts, offers, and merchandise and special events. Well worth the price of one measly human soul that let's be honest, I really wasn't using anyway. Go check out liquiddeath.com now and check out this completely unnecessary brand and order some delicious, thirst-murdering, death-to-plastic-dealing, eco-friendly, 100% recyclable mountain water fresh from the Alps today. Now also available in the sparkling water option. Go and murder your thirst now.
1: the camp.
2: We here at the Monsters Lair care greatly about the physical and mental health of all of our listeners. We believe it is important to pursue these goals on a daily basis. To live a happy and healthy life. With this goal in mind, we have partnered with Phoenix Fit and are now brand ambassadors for the brand. FNX is an excellent company based out of Salt Lake City, Utah, right here in the good old U.S. of A. FNX is committed to creating innovative supplements of the highest quality that provide focus for a productive morning, energy to thrive throughout the entire day, and performance supplements to reach new goals. Unique sleep and recovery recovery formulas to support any sport and healthy supplements to support any active lifestyle for all your years to come. The Monster's Lair are proud ambassadors of FNX Fit. Together we rise. We become greater when we rise together. As the phoenix rises from the ashes, our mission is to provide fuel for greatness to live in victory every day. With our unique position as brand ambassadors, we here at the Monster's Lair can help directly in our listeners' daily health goals by providing you, the listener, with this special promo code. This code is TMLFNX20. With it, you can save 15% off any purchase you make from fnxfit.com. Once again, that code is TMLFNX20. Go to fnxfit.com and check it out now. Thank you for all of your support.
0: Okay, ladies and gentlemen, you are brave enough to dive into the depths. Come visit me in the monster's lair and make it out safely on the other side. I will now unleash your shackles, allow you to stand up, and allow you to now be free to escape the monster's lair.